Hello, you're listening to Home Talk with Greg McKim on Tuesday, February 19th. If you're listening on a different date, this show is either pre-recorded or being rebroadcast. Well, welcome back to um, typical Pacific Northwest Seattle weather. I'm looking out the window right now, and I don't see much other than gray. Gray and drizzle, which I like since I've been here all of my life. But the snow was a little bit fun, maybe not for everybody, but kind of reminds you back when you were a kid and you got to play hooky for a while. Everybody decides that they're not going to go to work. I enjoyed it. Hope you did, too. I'm your host, Greg McKim. See, if you're wondering about the show name, Home Talk, it's not about talking homes. In fact, if your home is talking to you, for instance, if it says, I need a new roof or please remodel me, I think you might want to either one- see a psychiatrist, or two, maybe get a second opinion. And the second opinion is where I can come in. It's because your house thinks it needs a new roof. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it just needs to be repaired. And there's plenty of places you can go to get those opinions. I try to be um, one-stop-fits-all, but of course I can't do that. But on this show, we do talk about just about anything and everything related to owning a home, including repairs and maintenance, like a roof. We also talk about buying, selling, and financing, rental properties and flipping single-family homes versus condos and townhomes. If it's related to a home, we talk about it. Some A little bit of my background, I've worked in real estate-related industries since the 1970s, everything from swinging a hammer to owning a mortgage company. I'm a licensed real estate broker with Rockwell Realty and a licensed loan originator with Loanzilla. My loan originator license number is 106202, and the Loanzilla license is 67412. My primary goal for this show is to use my knowledge and experience to help people make good financial decisions about buying and selling and owning homes. There are other shows like this, but I think you'll find mine unique. Why? Because I discuss things about real estate you likely won't hear anywhere else things that may confuse and even anger you, but most important, help you. Of course, again, I don't claim to know everything about homes, but I know quite a bit, and I'm here to share it with you. And on occasion, bring in guests who are more experienced in certain areas like roofing than I am. I hope and expect to learn more about homes from my listeners and welcome your calls. So today's show, super exciting topic, maybe not. Not as exciting, maybe as sledding. It's about homeowners associations, often called HOAs. So let me give you a little background about my experience in that arena as well. I've owned and lived in some sort of an HOA since, let me see, 1987, I believe. I've been on HOA boards as either president, secretary, treasurer, off and on during those 30 years, mostly on I am currently the president of an HOA that has 88 homes. So I do have an extensive background in that arena, which I'm going to draw upon as I discuss this topic today. Let's talk, first of all, about what is an HOA and what is an HOA versus a condo. This is an area where people often become confused. An HOA can be a condo or not. A condo can be an HOA or not. So let's separate the two things. HOA, homeowners 
association. You can have homes that aren't connected to each other sit on separate lots. For instance, where I live, RHOA was founded in the late 60s, one of the first in the state of Washington. I own the land that I have my home on, even though I am connected to another home. I'm essentially a duplex. We have 88 homes in that complex that are similar to that. Some of them are complete standalone homes. They don't connect and touch a home any other ways. Some of them are side-by-side up to six units. We are an HOA, but we are not a condo. So you're thinking, who cares? Well, there is a reason to discuss this. If you are just thinking about buying into any sort of a HOA community, the laws that govern those communities are slightly different for an HOA versus a condominium. So let's talk a little bit about condominium. Backtrack one second. So an HOA may not be a condo. I am not in a condominium association. My home, I own the land below my house, but I'm part of an HOA. A condominium, everybody owns the land jointly that the, that the, that the dwellings are, uh, reside on. Again, I have clients ask me, who cares? Well, quite frankly, there isn't a huge difference, but there is and there are some distinctions. We'll talk about a, l- a few of those in a minute, maybe later on in the show, especially when it comes to lending. But for practical purposes right now, as a potential homeowner, if you're thinking about buying a home and you want to buy into some sort of a community, HOA slash condominium, let's go through the scenarios. So you like the idea of a condo, and you, you like the idea of having somebody else take care of your landscaping and to fix your roof and so forth. Or you want to have a pool and you don't want to own your own pool as, a, as an individual. Those are the types of things that condominiums and HOAs lend themselves to very well. And now I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm rambling a little bit here. I'm going to go back and separate. Okay, so where I live, where we're an HOA but not a condominium, for all practical purposes, anybody who buys into my complex, my association, and lives there, they might as well live in a condominium because we treat the maintenance and, and, and the common areas and some of the features, like we have a pool and clubhouse, we treat those the same way that you would if you lived in a condominium complex. However, there are some very important distinct differences that become pretty wonkish when it gets into who makes repairs to what and at whose expense and how the insurance covers the units. This is where a professional real estate broker really earns their keep by helping you weed through all this if you're looking at buying into any sort of a condominium slash HOA. One of the things that people get confused about when we have these conversations is condo versus townhome versus HOA. So I'm going to keep beating this maybe to death, but the HOA and a condo, they're, they're different things. A condominium association is a legal entity where everybody owns all the land in common. An HOA, you might own your own land, but have common areas, for instance, a pool or a playground, but you own the land you sit on. If, you're, if you own a townhome, a townhome may be part of a condo association. It may not. Condo slash single family dwelling slash condo, t- townhome are actual designations of the style of a building, not the legal distinction of how it's considered for ownership and legal purposes as a community. Let me backtrack and say that one more time. You could own a town home that's not a condominium association. It could be a simple HOA. 
That's where I live. We have townhomes, but we're not a condominium association. Now, you're, my producer here, Eric's listening to me right now, right, Eric? Have I lost you on any of that or some of that? Because it might help to, to bounce some of these things off you. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. It does. For sure. It does for sure. <laughs> I mean, uh, to uh, me anyway. <laughs> it, it never hurts to kind of uh, reiterate stuff right. for sure, though. And, I, you know, I know some folks that have lived in condos and HOAs and stuff, so I may have more insight than your yeah. average person. So, yeah, you know, feel free to kind of extrapolate and go from there. I might use it as a sounding board a couple of times here, because sometimes it's hard when I'm talking to, to, you know, to hear another person's perspective help. Sure. Let's just do one more distinction here. So if I were to list a home for sale as a real estate broker in my community, I would list it as a residential property. So if you were looking it up as, to purchase, you wouldn't see it under the condo designation. But you might, as a homeowner, be looking for a condo. And for all intents and purposes, even though we're not legally defined as a condo, we are. The way that we operate, the way that we take care of common areas, the way that we take care of the outside maintenance, your roof, your siding, your decks, we are. So what you'll see sometimes, when and I would do this if I were to post the listing, I would post it as both a single-family residence because that's the technical legal definition, but I would also double post it as a condo. That's why as a homeowner, if you're looking and searching for homes, you will see those double postings sometimes because the real estate broker is required to post it the way it legally is designated, single family. But for practical purposes, it's really a, it, it, it behaves like a condo. So people will overlook that property if they're searching for condos and then miss out on the home because it's not listed as a condominium. Does that make sense to you, Eric? Yeah. And that's why you'll see them double listed like that. So... Um, we t- talked a little bit about the distinction for a condo versus HOA is how the the property, the, the real estate land itself is owned and often confused with people call condos townhomes and townhomes condos, but really that's just the style of building. As a pretty good general rule, though, anytime you have one unit stacked on top of the other, those are almost always condominium associations. I've never seen one that isn't because how can two people own the same land below them? I don't see how that can be done. Homes that are side-by-side, though, sometimes are just HOAs. I've seen homes where every single unit in the condominium complex, and these are condominiums, every single one of them is a standalone home separated from all the other homes, but it's a condo association, so everybody owns the land over under every unit. Okay, now, as I go through and talk about HOAs a little bit more today, I'll come back to some of this because it'll make more sense as to how, how this is important. Let's take a look at the time here. We're doing okay. Um, I want to talk a little bit about now about the pros and cons of being an HOA owner versus a single family home. So some of the things I mentioned earlier, if you, if you wanted to have some amenities like a pool or tennis courts or a clubhouse and you didn't use them that often or just couldn't bear the expenses of a single family owner, those are some obvious reasons for owning, owning in an HOA. And for now on, we'll just say HOA instead of condo slash HOA. We'll just say HOA. Um, those, that's one of the pros. Another pro is that somebody's going to take care of maintaining the exterior in almost all cases, the exterior. I don't, I don't, there are some limitations. We'll talk about them in a second, but most cases, if you look at an HOA, you'll find that the dues that you pay monthly are going to pay for your roof, your siding, your deck repairs, your paint, paving, common areas, upkeep of the, of the grounds, that sort of thing. Now there are some cases where that's not, that isn't the case. Sometimes, and this is what I mentioned a minute ago, there are, there are some exceptions to that. You'll, and that's when you'll see the dues really low. You say, well, how come this HOA has only 
$30 a month dues. Well, all they're paying for is maybe the playground, and you're responsible for your own roof, your own siding. These are things you have to determine as you're reviewing each individual property. So back to, let's say, full-blown HOA, where they're covering everything. Your dues are going to cover things that you would normally have to pay out of pocket as a homeowner. People often ask me, well, or tell me, I don't want to own an HOA. I don't want to pay the dues. I say, well, you're going to have to pay for those things anyway. Somebody's going to have to replace the roof someday. Somebody has to paint the house at some point. So the advantage of being an HOA, a couple of them as far as the expense of maintenance and repairs go. One of them is economy of scale. So if you have multiple roofs to do at one time versus one, you can typically get a little bit better price on it because the contractor is going to have an economy of scale. Another is that people are pooling the money and putting it in there, and, and so you move in, and the money that's in the HOA reserve account or their general fund has been accumulating before you moved in there. So you don't have to come up with $20,000 to fix the roof because somebody else has been contributing to it. That's an advantage. On the flip side, you might contribute money into that, move out, and never have the money used to, to, to fix the roof, and you could have used it yourself. So people ask me all the time, well, should I do this or should I buy? There's no right or wrong answer. It's all dependent upon the circumstances. But here's the perfect scenario. You move into an association that, that um, has a ton of money in it, and they're just about to do a lot of work. So you don't have to come up with any money out of your pocket. They're going to replace the roofs that people have been accumulating money for for 20 years. You think you're going to be there for less than 10 years, and you, the money that you're spending right now is, is, is mainly for the maintenance of things that you're going to have to do while you're there, you know, landscape and, and taking care of the clubhouse and so forth, but you don't have to put a bunch of money into it. A downside would be if you move into a project that doesn't have enough money, and now you got to come up with money out of your pocket, a special assessment. So that's what are things we're going to talk about in one of the segments going forward. The pro, what you have to look out for when you're thinking about buying an association, what sort of documents you should review, what kind of assistance you should get from a real estate broker to help you with that. And I'll give you my advice about that. But um, we're getting ready to go to a break here. Uh, are we pretty close to a break? A couple minutes away. So what I'd like to do is um, just review what we've talked about so far, and then we'll go into the break. So we've talked about my experience in the HOA business or the industry, uh, you know, as an HOA um, homeowner, how the condo versus an HOA, how the land is owned is the primary distinction. There are some minor distinctions too. Types of buildings and some of the pros and cons, which we'll talk more about of, of an HOA. But now we're about to take a commercial break. So I'd like to thank you for listening to Home Talk with Greg McKim, the show that covers homeownership to the moon and back again. We air each Tuesday from 3 to 4 here on 1150 AM KKNW. You might want to take out a pen or pencil and write down this number where you can call in during the show, 425 373 Five five two seven. Again, that number is four two five three seven three five five two seven. Off air, you can reach me directly at two zero six two five zero six five four five. That's two zero six two five zero six five four five. Or email me at gmckim. That's g m c k i m at lonezilla.com. Kim at LoanZilla.com or visit LoanZilla.com or you can listen to this or prior shows by podcast at 1150K. 
kknw.com under audio archives. We'll be right back after these messages. Please don't go away. When snowmobiling in an avalanche terrain, make sure everyone has an avalanche beacon, shovel, and probe on their person and knows how to use them. Get training by taking an avalanche course and check the daily avalanche forecast at avalanche.org. Always be aware of local conditions. If you see recent avalanche activity, go ride elsewhere. Most importantly, only one at a time on the slopes and don't group up in runout zones. Brought to you by the American Council of Snowmobile Associations and the Federal Highway Administration. A message from wildlife biologist Jeff Corwin for American Humane. Every year, 30,000 elephants are killed by poachers. 8 million tons of plastic is dumped into the ocean. And 18 million acres of forest disappear. And with them, many of the remarkable animals that share our planet. These animals need our help. Their very survival depends on our ability to protect them. Zoos and aquariums are on the front lines of wildlife conservation and inspire environmental stewardship amongst the millions of families that visit every year. And know that zoos and aquariums that have earned the Humane Certified Seal of Approval from American Humane will not give up until every species has a fighting chance for survival. Find out more and help protect and preserve the amazing creatures that share our world. Brought to you by American Humane. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry, I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Make it a great day. Keep your dial on Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Home Talk with Greg McKim. I am your host, Greg McKim. This is the show where I try to cover everything about homeownership from A to Z. We air each Tuesday from 3 to 4 right here on 1150 AM KKNW. During the show, you can call in at 425-373-5527. Off air, you can reach me directly at 206-250-6545. Or email me at gmckim, that's G-M-C-K-I-M, at lonezilla.com, gmckim at lonezilla.com. Or visit LoanZilla.com. You can also listen to this or prior shows by podcast at 1150kknw.com under audio archives. So today I'm talking about homeowners associations or HOAs. In the last segment, we covered a little bit about my experience in that arena over roughly 30 years. Uh, Condo versus an HOA the different types of buildings that people sometimes mix up when it comes to condos and HOAs, and some of the pros and cons about being part of an HOA versus owning your own home. I'm going to go a little bit further into that. So the biggest challenge, I think, in owning an HOA or owning a home in an HOA or a condo is that you're making decisions by committee. 
So you're reliant upon other people's um, work, their, their, their opinions, their decisions, and sometimes you might not agree with them, and sometimes they might not be good ones. You're also reliant upon third parties that you don't have any control over many times. You're reliant upon a property manager that you might not have a say in pick choosing. You might uh, be reliant upon roofing companies and so forth that you don't have any, any choice over. And as an individual homeowner, of course, you have decisions, and you can make choices and decide who you're going to use for those things. That's one of the downsides. And then there's certain rules and regulations that you must follow. Now, most often, those rules and regulations are pretty common sense. Like, you please don't let your dog poop without picking it up in the, in the yard, which is the biggest complaint probably of all homeowners of all time. Um, and, you know, you, you can't put aluminum foil up in the, in the windows for, for um, your drapes. You can't park a semi-truck in the, in the, front, in the front lawn. Uh, most often, those are the cases. Sometimes rules and regs can be kind of kind of nutty, and one of the challenges that a lot of associations have is that the rules and regulations aren't 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 enforced, and that's a frustration that I feel even as an HOA president right now, because we just don't have the manpower to do them. So we pick and choose. There's a lot of rules and regs, and we just try to use common sense. So if somebody leaves their garbage can out overnight when it's supposed to be brought in, what are we going to do? Fine them? You know, maybe they. It was, it was icy out or they were on vacation, and uh, so people will complain about it. So you're, you're part of a community. One of the advantages of it, of course, is you're part of a community. And uh, you can make friends with people. There's get-togethers. You have all the advantages of having, um, um, you know, as we talked about a couple times, community centers, clubhouses, pools, that sort of thing. So I tell people, you got to go with your own personal gut about how you feel about being part of a community versus being an individual um, so I'm going to talk, I'm going to give you some advice that I follow whenever I'm helping one of my buyers or sellers either buy a condominium slash HOA, again, I'm going to go back to HOA or a, or selling one. Now, actually I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to revert a little bit here. If you're buying into an HOA where it's a single family home, you pay $20 a month dues for a, a, a playground and a sign that says, welcome to, you know, Mary Moore Heights or something, none of this stuff really applies because you're still responsible for your own roof. You're responsible for your own siding. There may not be a clubhouse. Let's talk about true condos or HOAs that act like condos for every for all intents and purposes. Those are where the t- where you're paying four five hundred dollar a month dues. Somebody's going to be fixing your roof. Somebody's going to be making decisions about what color paint your house is going to be. Somebody's going to tell you that you can't park a certain type of vehicle or have a certain number of vehicles. That's that's a true condo-like scenario, and that's the ones that you have to be very, very careful about how you buy into one of those because you're not just buying a house. You're buying into a community. So here's some advice that I have. If you're working with a real estate broker, you, what you want to do is you want to ask that real estate broker exactly how they go about determining the overall financial strength and the management the, the, the management effectiveness, I guess, is a term I'd use, or how well-managed is better. How well-managed a particular condominium complex is. Now, th- that's a hard thing to do, but whatever real estate broker you choose or you're interviewing to talk about helping you buy into a condo association, they better have a good list of answers. And I wouldn't, give, I wouldn't spoon-feed them the answers because if they don't already have the answers, that means they don't do it. So here's the answers they should tell you. 
first of all, there's a document that the state of Washington requires a seller provide a buyer when they purchase a condo, and it's called a resale certificate. The resale certificate is a disclosure of certain fundamental aspects of the association that are pertinent to the buyer's buying decision. For instance, financial reports, budgets, HOA board and annual minute, annual meeting minutes, reserve studies. There's a lot of different documents in there. Any real estate broker that understands those documents will tell you that they will do the following. One is they will read every single financial statement and then review the highlights that they find with you, things that they find are strengths or weaknesses. Two, they will read the the reserve study and review with you not just the, the summary of the reserve study, but they'll get into the guts of it, how the reserve study was, 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 was created, where the numbers came from. I'll give you an example of that in just a minute. Three, they will read all of the minutes that are provided. That would be two years of annual minutes and six months of board meeting minutes. So let's go back and talk about why. First, number one, they read the financials. They read the most recent two years year-end financial statements, and the most recent budget. And the things that they're looking for are, have the dues stayed steady or had a big jump? Did they they forecast within a reasonable range what their expenses were going to be? For instance, if in 2017 they they, they budgeted that they were going to spend $30,000 on repairs and they spent $200,000 on repairs, what's the matter with the budgeting? Are they, did they make, did they, are they just grossly negligent or was there some legitimate reason why they were $170,000 off of their budget? The other reason is you want to see what the, what the, what the trends are. are they, have they been consistently raising dues? Have they been keeping them about the same? So the financials are extremely important. Again, go back. The agent should tell you they do these things. You don't ask them if they do these things. If they don't tell you they do them, they don't do them. Asking them to do them, they'll say, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> but they should tell you they do these things. Second thing. The reserve study. Now, the reserve study is usually completed by a third party. I'm not sure whether or not an association can do it themselves. I wouldn't. But you have a third party company that does it. And the goal of a reserve study is to determine whether or not the association has enough money set aside in their reserve account for future capital improvements and repairs and maintenance. For instance, do they have enough money? When the roofs need to be replaced 30 years from now, will they have enough money projected to do that with their current reserves and the amount of money that they're projecting to put in there every year? Now, reserve studies are, are very complicated. They're 30 to 50 pages, lots of detail about every component, the paving, the light poles, the mailboxes, the siding, the paint, the decks, the, if there's a pool, the pool liner, you name it. Everything's in there. And then the people who produce the reserve study give a projection is how much life is left on those particular components and how much money it might cost in the future based on an inflation index to, to, to make those repairs or, or capital improvements. The pro- biggest problem with reserve studies is they default to be super conservative. I'll give you a great example. Okay, so where I live, we were built in the late 60s. We didn't, we didn't finish our pay, we didn't repave our entire complex until about four years ago. So it went nearly 50 years before we did it. Well, the average reserve study is going to say you need to do that every 30 years. We stretched it out another 20 years. 
So a reserve study could say, well, your $300,000 is coming up in two years. We pushed it out, pushed it out, pushed it out by doing repairs and so forth. Now, I will, I will admit the paving was a little bit ragged, but it wasn't absolutely required to be done. We could drive on those streets. So if, as a homeowner, you're looking at a reserve study and you see that these projections for what needs to be done are coming up, it might make you nervous until you dig into, does it really need to be done? I'm going to elaborate on that a little bit more because that's a really confusing topic. Okay. So I have a client right now who's getting ready to make an offer on a house. And I have the reserve study in my hands. And I've looked at it. And the reserve study says that they need to have two point, I'm rough, rough in these numbers. They, need, they should have $2.5 million right now in reserves to take care of their future projected expenses. They have 600000 So they have about 25% of what they need right now. So as a homeowner, you might say, oh, my gosh, they're only 25% funded. What's going to happen? How are we going to pay for these expenses they come up? Are they going to raise our dues exorbitantly? Are they going to ask for a special assessment? From, so the, what I did was I went through line by line and looked at this reserve study, and the one that jumped out at me is that it projecting uh, 14, uh, I don't forget, let's just say 10 years from now, that they're going to have to replace all the vinyl siding at the expense of $1.6 million. I would question that. That's the standard projected life of vinyl siding is 30 years. However, you can get a lot more years out of vinyl siding than that, particularly in areas that are covered and don't have any sun exposure. But the reserve study, they go, they default to the most conservative projection. So $1.6 million is a lot of money. You have to go through and look at it like that. And then, of course, you have to make a decision. Now, how do you, how you determine whether you think that vinyl is going to be replaced in 10 years or not? But that's, that's really the way a reserve study should be looked at. And it's unfortunate that most people look at them, they just see that it's, they would think, oh, that's underfunded. So, again, the real estate agent needs to go through the financials and then discuss them with you and talk to you about what they see as strengths and weaknesses. They need to go to the reserve study with you, and they need to discuss it. And I, your real estate broker should read all that stuff first. They give it to you as well, but they should read it first and then go through it with you because you're not, you're not skilled in this. And last but not least, the, the real estate broker should read all of the minutes that means the last six months minutes which are made available per the, the law and the last two years. Why? Minutes are very revealing. One of the one examples is this. Let's say you read six months of minutes and every single month they say, we need to do this. It's a critical thing to do. It's urgent. And then the next month, we still need to do this. We better get on it right away. And the next month, you think, why in the world didn't they take care of this urgent, critical, important matter? It gives you a sense of how well, they manage the property. The other is they say things in the minute sometimes that are pertinent, like, geez, you know, we're really thinking about maybe we need to do a special assessment. Now, there may not be a special assessment on the books. There might not be any project, any, any, any plans to do it, but they're thinking about it. So three things, again, that your real estate broker needs to do is read the financials, read the reserve study, read the minutes, and review them with you and go through the strengths and weaknesses. Now, that's those are three components out of the resale certificate. The resale certificate itself is about a five to six page document depending upon who produces it. And it lists things like how what the dues are, what's in reserves, whether or not there's any outstanding dues. It's a six page document. The supporting documents that go with it are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages, like a two inches thick if you had it on paper. Most buyers and even real estate brokers get overwhelmed by it. 
You don't need to read the following. You don't need to read the declaration. It's a legal document that, uh, that, that, uh, that um, what's the word I'm looking for, conforms with or abides by um, the, the Condo Act law. You don't need to become a lawyer and learn how Condo Act law. You don't need to read bylaws. Those are standard boilerplates about how votes are done, how meetings are held, how they, how they elect the board members. Rules and regs, you might want to read rules and regs because it, sometimes there's some goofy rules and regs, but usually they're reasonable. And those are huge, thick documents that you just don't waste your time on them. The ones you want to read, and I'm going to sound like a broken record, the financials, the reserve study, and the minutes. You might want to read the insurance information, but usually there's, a, there's adequate insurance, but it's, it's something that the lender is going to require anyway if you're, if you're financing the home. So that's my advice if you're buying Let's say you own. Mm, you know what? I think what I'm going to do here is I'm going to go early to this break so I can come back and hit this last topic and combine it into one instead of split it in half. So um, is that okay with you, Eric? A little early. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, because it's going to break up in the middle of what I'm talking about. So we're going to go ahead and go on another commercial break, uh, public message. And um, just, again, you're listening to Home Talk with, with Greg McKim. And uh, this is the show that covers home ownership from soup to nuts, everything from um, roofing to financing and reverse mortgages. We air each Tuesday from 3 to 4 on 1150 AM KKNW, Alternative Talk Radio. During the show, you can call in at 425-373-5527. Again, 425-373-5527. Or off-air, you can reach me, Greg, at 206-250-6545. That's 206-250-6545. Or email me at gmckim, that's G-M-C-K-I-M, at LoanZilla.com. Or visit LoanZilla.com. You can also listen to this or prior shows by podcast at 1150kknw.com. Under audio archives. We'll be right back after these messages. Don't go away. It took me a long time to be able to say Chandler has cancer because that is such a scary word. St. Jude takes care of absolutely everything. And knowing that we don't have to pay for all of the medical expenses, that's huge. St. Jude allowed me to focus on being a mom to Bryce. And sometimes I'm just in awe of the impact St. Jude has, not only on this community, but the world. St. Jude is uniquely positioned to advance the cures of pediatric cancer, I think better than any other institution in the world. The contributions make a big difference. Donors are important to us because you get the feeling that you have a team behind you. We have the resources and we have the focus. And so, if St. Jude doesn't do it, who will? St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures. Saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. Through the generous support of individuals like you, Trees for the Future has planted over 155 million trees and changed thousands of lives in the last 29 years. With your help, Trees for the Future continues to train thousands of impoverished farming families across Africa to plant their way out of poverty using an agroforestry method called the Forest Garden. 
Forest gardens consist of nearly 4,000 fast-growing fruit, nut, and timber trees that thrive alongside climate-appropriate crops, surrounded by a living green fence. These forest gardens eliminate hunger in two years, increase household income over 400% in four years, and have changed landscapes from dry lands for monocropping to rich soils supporting over 20 varieties of crops and marketable products. Learn more about how you can be part of these efforts by visiting trees.org radio. That's trees.org radio. Organic, free-range, and fresh daily. Alternative Talk, 1150. Welcome back to Home Talk with Greg McKim, the show that covers home ownership from soup to nuts. We air each Tuesday from 3 to 4 right here on 1150 AM KKNW Alternative Talk. During the show, feel free to call in at 425-373-5527. Off air, you can reach me, Greg, at 206-250-6545 or email McKim at LoneZilla.com or visit LoneZilla.com. You can also listen to this or prior shows by podcast at 1150kknw.com under audio archives. And if you're a first-time listener, I suggest you listen to on a podcast, if you're interested, the January 1st and January 8th. January 1st, I talk about the concept of the show. And on January 8th, I talk about how to shop for a home loan. I give you the tips and tools that I would use having been a mortgage loan originator for 28 years. So today's show is about HOAs and condominiums. I was just reviewing what I would do if I were a homeowner and I was looking to buy a condominium or an HOA, particularly a condominium, what I would want my real estate broker to do for me. I would give them an open-ended question. I'd say, as a real estate broker, how do you help me evaluate whether or not a condominium I'm buying into is well-managed and financially sound? And then I'd shut up. And I'd have them, they better give me these three answers, that they review all the financials personally and then go over the highlights and strengths with you. They review the reserve study, go over the highlights and weaknesses with you. And then they review all and read all the minutes and go over all the strengths and weaknesses with you. If they don't answer those two things, that means they don't do them. Don't spoon feed it to them. Don't tell them what to do. And they go, okay, they better have already been doing this as a general practice. Now, there's no way any real estate broker or individual can make a perfect evaluation of an association. I was telling Eric, my producer here, when I was off air, when we were off air, that I've, helped, I've given information to homeowners and advised them not to buy into certain condo associations before based on those three things we just talked about. And though there have been times when people have bought into them, into a, a condo, condo complex, called me a couple years later frantic about problems that we couldn't have seen. That's life. I hate to say it, but there's nothing you can, you can't do anything perfectly. You can buy a car that got the best ratings in the world and you get a lemon. You can buy a house that has been inspected inside and out and you find out that, that the inspector didn't see something that can't be seen. So you just do the best you can. You use common sense and do the best you can. So what I want to talk about now is we, the last segment we talked about how you would go about buying a, a condo slash HOA and, um, again, focusing mainly on condos because that's where the most problems come in. So a, a true condominium where you're sharing common areas and you have general maintenance is covered by the HOA. Now, how about if you own one? Well, this is what I tell every one of my clients. If you own one, 
get on the board. If you can't get on the board, you don't want to be on the board, be on a committee. If you can't do that and want to at least attend all the board meetings, usually the, the, the boards meet at least every quarter, the bigger complexes every month. And if you can't do any of those things, if you don't attend an annual meeting and, and if you're not involved in the budget ratification, I don't know what's wrong with you, quite frankly. Now, that being said, having been on boards and been involved in communities, you'd be amazed how few people in the communities that I've lived in and been, been part of the board attend meetings and annual meetings on a regular basis. But it's kind of a microcosm of the world in general, which is I don't want to pay any taxes, but I certainly want all my potholes filled. I get that all the time. I get tired of it. People will come to me at where I live right now and say, our dues are too high and you're not doing a good job landscaping. I say, well, you're welcome to come to our budget meetings and discuss all these things with you. I don't want to. I say, well, then don't talk to me about it anymore. I'm pretty frank about it. I get sick of it. And the fact is, is that most associations, dues are too low. This is a challenge. Most people wait to the last minute and then they have, we have deteriorating properties. We don't have enough money in the bank because nobody wants to pony up and put enough money in there. You'd be surprised how few associations actually have enough money in reserves to deal with problems. But that's just human nature. We like to shove things, kick the can, push, push it out into the future, and we don't like paying the higher dues. So anyways, back to if I owned a condo, and I, this is me because I've, I've been on boards, and when I'm not on the boards, I'm usually either at the meetings. Cause I, I'm not always on the boards. I mean, I've, I, I, I step down periodically. But I would say get on a board. If not, get on a committee. If not, attend the meetings. Now, usually the boards allow homeowners to attend meetings. I don't know of any that don't. Sometimes they'll have executive sessions where they want to discuss things in private, but they have board meetings. I don't know of any association doesn't allow. You can't sit there and talk the whole time. They'll give you a homeowner's forum where you have 15 minutes where other owners might have 15 minutes to bring up concerns. But you can listen, take notes, ask questions. And I also would highly recommend you always read the board minute meetings, the board meaning minutes backwards. Yeah, read them. This is one of the biggest investments of your life. I gave you some examples of, and I don't want to scare the pants out of you, but you know, I can't say those words, but I'm not, I don't want to scare you. So I have a friend. Uh, she lived for 20, 30 years in this one condo complex, and she was on the board for a long time, and she got off the board. By the time she moved out and sold the place, there were blue tarps over some of the buildings. The dues now went from four to 800. The place just absolutely fell apart because the, it was so poorly managed. The place is disintegrating into the ground. And she just fought tooth and nail for years, got nowhere with it, and finally bailed. Well, now she's living in a new place that's a lot smaller, has 10 units. And they are sorely underfunded. She's on the board again there, and she's pulling her hair out again because the people are making bad decisions. And she's only one voice, but they're spending money to do things they shouldn't do instead of raising money to do things they should do, like fix flashing that was installed improperly by a recent roofing company, not repairing it, the siding starts to rot. These are real big challenges. And if you're not involved at all, you have no hope. Now, of course, I don't want to get scared scare you to death, but you know, even if you're involved, sometimes it's problematic. But the more involved you are, the better chance you're going to be able to handle things. Now, in that particular case, I helped her buy that compl- in the complex, and I helped her sell the other one. I was her real estate broker. We both knew going into her current complex, they were underfunded, but she just took the dive, hoping that it would work out. And in retrospect, sometimes she wonders if she should have. By the way, I'm not going to um, beat her up here. I'm not going to talk about her or, or where she lives. 
her particular complex has 10 units. They are self-managed. Most larger complexes, I've seen them, um, you know, usually, usually I've seen even t- have prop, excuse me, have a third-party professional property management firms. If you are buying into a complex that is self-managed, you need to be more careful about what you're doing because they typically don't know what they're doing. And this is a challenge. The smaller complexes always think they have a handle on it, but they're not professionals. They don't know and understand all the ins and outs of owning condos and what is involved. So I, 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 I'm, I'm not a big fan of self-management unless it's done very effectively. I do know one complex that's right next to mine that's been self-managed for 30 years very effectively. It has great people on the board, has an involved community. So it's everyone is an individual case. But the things to look out for are if they're self-managed or not, how well-managed are they? Back to what I said before. Look at the finances, look at the reserve study, and read the minutes. Okay, what if you're selling what if you're selling a condo? Um, okay, if you're my client, one of the things I'm going to do anytime that I have a listing, I try, to, I try to make it easy for the buyer to buy the property. Price is one thing if you're selling a, a home. Contingencies are another. Let me explain. So when I'm a selling a home to my potential buyer, when the buyer comes in, they might have a financing contingency. That means that if they cannot secure home financing, then they can rescind or terminate the contract with full refund of earnest money. They might have an inspection contingency. They might have, in this case of a condo, they have a contingency where they have the opportunity to review all the documents we've been talking about, which involve the resale certificate and the other supporting documents, finances, reserve study, and so forth. As a seller, I don't want them to have those contingencies. Why? Because every time that they have a contingency, it gives them an opportunity to do one of two things. Back out of the contract, which means I'm back to square one, or two, renegotiate the contract based on what they found. So what I try to do is I try to make it so that they are comfortable waiving those contingencies. So here's my advice to you if you're selling a, if you're selling a condo or a house. One, get an inspection at your own expense and make all the major repairs. And then there's no and give the inspection to the buyer, then there's no reason for them to have an inspection because they already have one that you've purchased, you've done it in advance, it's over. Now, in a super hot seller's market, which we're not we're still in a seller's market, but it's not as hot as it was, buyers are waiving inspections all the time. Even then, a lot of buyers would come in and they didn't want to do something, they didn't want to buy a house without an inspection, so they do a pre-inspection. So you'd see sometimes when a house was listed, five or six inspectors out there on the same day doing pre-inspections for buyers. And keep in mind that if, maybe, if, if out of those five or six, only one gets to buy the house, all those other people spent money on a pre-inspection for a house they're not going to buy. After a while, buyers get just exhausted from doing that. They're tired of spending 450 bucks for houses they don't want to buy. So as a seller, buy an inspection for them. Get it out of the way. Two reasons. It makes it easier for them to, to waive it without taking risks because they have yours. Second, they can't renegotiate or back out of the contract based on the results of the inspection. So the next thing, which is that, that applies to all homes, by the way. If you're selling a condo, get the resale certificate and all the supporting documents in advance. A lot of people, a lot of sellers wait until they have a buyer on the hook because when you get a resale certificate as the seller, the property management firm that you're working with will charge you for it. 
in the neighborhood of 350 to 400 bucks. The sellers say, I don't want to do that because they're going to charge me extra to, re- to renew it, in if, it if it's over 60 days. So what? A couple, maybe another 100 bucks. You want all that documentation, listing broker, you, want, you tell them to post all that documentation on the multiple listing website. You ask the buyer to review it in advance and sign off on it so they cannot use it as a way to either renegotiate the contract or, ret- or rescind, terminate. Those are two key elements, that, especially with a condo. Make them read it in advance and answer any questions. Plus, you want to be aware of it. You want to, be know, you want to know what you're selling. Uh, what, what are your strengths and weaknesses that you can, you can promote as a marketing tool to the public? Hey, this is a really well-managed property. It's got lots of reserve studies good. Or if you find weaknesses, address them. I'll go back to that story that I had. So you see that your reserve is only 25% funded. A lot of buyers are going to look at that and walk away. They're scared because they don't understand that maybe there's a $1.6 million expense projected 10 years from now that isn't really going to be an expense. Now, you should spend some time and energy, your real estate broker should, figuring out how to address that, what looks like a potential problem. Okay. Um, Well, I'm running out of things to talk about when it comes to HOAs. There was... (laughs) I'll just I'll, I'll delve a little bit into the insurance side of things. So I guess I, I never really run out of things to say. We'll, we'll go to insurance, okay? So if you own an eight, a condo, you will pay as part of your dues, again, back to true condo versus one that's really a single-family home with a playground you pay $20 a month dues for. So true condo where you're paying $400 a month for dues. Part of your dues cover insurance. That's called a master policy. And that master policy typically has a high deductible, like $10,000, and it covers major, um, major, um, major damage. Say a tree falls on the roof, and it's going to cost thirty grand to fix it. The, ins- the HOA insurance is going to pick it up, and then the HOA will typically pay the $10,000 deductible out of their own general fund and a reserve account. However, Every HOA is slightly different on how they will cover the interior. And particularly the older ones, like where I live, it's very confusing. And I'm not going to get into it, but I'm going to tell you this, is you better understand how it works. So let's go back. Let's add a fourth thing to this, because I did brush on it briefly. You should understand how the insurance works. Remember I said, make sure you read the financials. Make sure you read the reserve study. Make sure you read the minutes. You, you, You understand how the insurance mechanism works. And I'll give you my example because it's really pertinent. If water leaks through the roof into one of our units, the HOA is responsible for fixing the roof, but not any of the damage in the interior. That's unusual. In a condominium, it's usually the case, and I I can't speak for all of them, but I don't use the case where the HOA would also make repairs in the interior. We don't. So what do you do? You better have your own policy that covers the interior. And you need to talk to both the insurance provider for the HOA and your own insurance provider to make sure that you have that, 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 that the, the two policies, what's the word I'm looking for? They um, mesh or um, they complement each other. I think that would be an appropriate way to look at it. So that is a, that's a really key element that I would make sure that if you're going to buy into a condo, you understand how the insurance works, who makes what repairs on the interior and exterior as well. And some associations don't make certain exterior repairs. 
Some of them don't, for instance, replace windows. So that's something you want to be aware of. Don't just assume an HOA does everything. Those are things you should be able to you should be able to find out with the help of your real estate broker. So I'm going to do a quick repeat of what we've talked about today. The difference between a condo and HOA. A condo is, a, is a, an association where everybody owns the land jointly, and there are certain laws that that, that 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 dictate how a condominium operates. An HOA is a slightly different entity, and an HOA could be a bunch of houses that just agree to have an association to take care of a clubhouse or a, or a playground. But every one of the homes is totally separate and people are responsible. Or there can be a kind of a quasi, like where I live, where it really acts like a condo, but it's, but it's not a condo. Um, the difference between the different types of styles of buildings, condos, townhomes, single-family homes, what you should ask from a real estate broker, you may, they, should, they should review the finances, the reserve study, the minutes, and I'll add this. It is something we always do. Look at how the insurance works. Well, that about wraps it up. I really appreciate everybody listening in today. Um, this is this is Greg McKim with Home Talk, and this is my show where I try to cover everything I can think about that has to do with home ownership. My specialties being a real estate and licensed loan originator. We air each Tuesday from three to four on eleven fifty a.m. KKNW. During my show, you can call in at four two five three seven three five five two seven. Off air, you can reach me at 206-250-6545, or you can email me at gmckim at loanzilla.com or visit loanzilla.com. You can also listen to this or prior shows by podcast at 1150kknw.com under audio archives next week on um, Tuesday February 26th, my guest will be Jeff Skillingstad of Troon Construction. He was going to be here this week, but Jeff is sick today. He is a general contractor with 40 years of experience in residential and commercial construction, and we'll discuss remodeling and new home building. If you're considering remodeling or building a home or commercial building and have questions or need advice, I recommend you write down your questions and either email me those questions or call next week to speak directly with Jeff. Again, my email is gmckim, that's G-M-C-K-I-M, at loanzilla.com. Appreciate you listening. Please tune in next Friday, I mean next Tuesday, February 26th at 3 p.m. See you then, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.